Today, we are in Acts chapter 17. We're going to be looking at verses 10 through 15 in a study that I've entitled, A Heart for the Word. So follow along as I read, beginning in verse 10. It says, Then the brethren immediately sent Paul and Silas away by night to Berea. And when they arrived, they went into the synagogue of the Jews. And these were more fair-minded than those in Thessalonica, in that they received the word with all readiness and searched the scriptures daily to find out whether these things were so. Therefore, many of them believed, and also not a few of the Greeks and prominent women as well as men. But when the Jews from Thessalonica learned that the word of God was preached by Paul in Berea, they came there also and stirred up the crowds. And then immediately the brethren sent Paul away to go to the sea, but both Silas and Timothy remained there. They stayed there for some ongoing discipleship with the people. So those who conducted Paul brought him to Athens and receiving a command for Silas and Timothy to come to him with all speed, they departed. Let's pray together. Lord, we thank you so much for the freedom that we have in this country, freedom to gather like this in a building like this as your people to worship you, to study your word. And Lord, we know that that freedom that we have is because of the sacrifice and service of men and women like those who stood here today that have fought for the freedom that we have in this country. And God, we don't take that for granted at all. Lord, we know that it is a precious thing that we live in a a very um, crucial time, but also we, we celebrate this opportunity that we have. And we pray today that your word would go forth in power and through the ministry of your spirit, that God, you would stir something up within us today, we pray in Jesus' name. Everyone said, amen. Amen. So we are continuing to follow Paul on his missionary journeys. He's now on his second missionary journey. And we have seen Paul um, really encounter in his missionary journey some difficulties. We've seen him beaten. We've seen him imprisoned. We saw him in Lystra literally get pelted with rocks until they thought that he had died and they left him for dead. And so we've watched this. And even on his second missionary journey, you know, we saw in Philippi that he was beaten and put in prison. We saw last week in Thessalonica, there was a riot that was going on. But the interesting thing is that, that Paul, even as, as we note here last week, he you know, leaves at night under the, the cover of night in order to, you know, in peril for his life to find freedom. But the interesting thing is that a lot of men, a lot of people would have abandoned their calling a long time ago, but not Paul. Paul continued. He continues to just go. He's like the Energizer Bunny, you know? He just keeps on going and keeps on going. And the idea of quitting just never, ever occurred to Paul. And as he kept going, God kept working. And God kept transforming, and the word kept going out. I love this quote when David Livingston, a missionary, was asked where he was prepared to go. And he answered, I'm prepared to go anywhere as long as it is forward. And that was Paul. 
That was Paul's mentality as well. Well, in the midst of some very, very difficult times and cities that he's come to, Paul gets sort of a breath of fresh air when he comes to the city of Berea. The Bereans are like a bright spot, and they stand out to us, even today, as a testimony, as an example of how to approach God's word. And so we, we noted here that Paul, as was his custom, and we've seen, remember we talked about this last week, Paul had a commission from the Lord to go out, and he had a custom His commission was to go and to preach the gospel to the Jews and to the Gentiles. And so his custom was every time he would go into a new city, where would he go first church? To the synagogue, because that's where the Jews were. And he brought the message of the gospel to them first. And that's what he does here. But Paul is blessed by what he discovers here in Berea. Look at verse 11 again. It says, these were more fair-minded than those in Thessalonica in that they received the word with all readiness and searched the scriptures daily to find out whether these things were so. So the first thing that we're told here about the church in Berea is that they were more fair-minded. Some translations put it noble-minded. In fact, I love this translation. It says that they were of a beautiful mind. Isn't that awesome? You know, when the world looks at Christians who believe in the Bible... They don't look at us. That's not, their, that's not their thought concerning us. Like, oh, those, those people are of a beautiful mind. No, they look at us as being narrow-minded. They look at us as being simple-minded, that we're not really intellectual, that we might even be downright stupid because we believe in the Bible. The world looks down on a person who actively embraces the scriptures, but that's not the view or the heart or the mentality of heaven. When God looks down, they see the person who is embracing the Bible, who loves God's word as those who are of a beautiful mind, those who are noble in God's sights. So in God's sight, the Bereans were of a beautiful mind because of their approach to God's word. And we can learn something about their approach to God's word. I want you to note a couple of things. First of all, we're told here that they receive the word with readiness. That word readiness speaks of an eagerness. That they were eager, they were hungry to get into the word of God. They, they, they had a heart of just loving God's word. It speaks of the idea of rushing forward. Like, I just can't wait to get in it. I remember back during the Jesus movement at Calvary Chapel, Costa Mesa. If you did not get to the church about 30 minutes early, you wouldn't even get a seat. That's, that's how God was moving and how hungry people were to get in and to hear the word of God. Well, that's how these guys approached it. There was an eagerness to approaching the word of God. They couldn't get enough. And those are some of the most exciting Christians to be around is those who just can't get enough of the word of God. The second thing we note about them is it says they search the scriptures daily. The word searcher means to examine, to scrutinize, and to investigate. It's a word used in forensic science. 
like CSI, you know, it's those who come into a crime scene and they're scrutinizing it. They're investigating it. They're turning over every leaf and every rock and trying to figure out what happened. That's the word, the idea that describes what the Bereans were about, that they searched the scriptures. They were testing the things that Paul had told to them. And we noted Paul's custom, another one of his customs when he went into the synagogue is he would share with the people about the Messiah and he'd take them through all the Old Testament scriptures showing them how the Messiah had to suffer. And so these guys are listening to this and they're hearing things that their rabbis had missed, but instead of just taking it at face value, they were going and they were searching out the scriptures to see if these things were so. And the more that they searched out, the more that their hunger grew. And Paul was thrilled about that practice. And you know, my hope as a pastor my prayer as a pastor is that, that my preaching would create in you a hunger and a desire for more. That it would create in you a hunger to say, you know what, I want to dive into that more. You know, Pastor, I was talking about this thing, and I, I, I want to find out more about that. And, and that you would just dive into and dig in to God's word on your own. And so this church in Berea stands out to us as this incredible example about how to approach God's word with an eagerness and with a desire to search it out. And I hope that we would have a desire, individually and as a church, to be like the Bereans. When I think about the Bereans, though, they remind me of another person in the Old Testament who also had a really great approach to God's word, and his name was Ezra. And Ezra was a scribe during the time of Nehemiah. We're going to meet him with the guys this week in our final study. But Ezra was instrumental in helping Israel get back on track spiritually there in Jerusalem. And God uses him along with Nehemiah to really bring about a spiritual revival in Israel. And this is what we're told about Ezra in Ezra chapter 7 verse 9. This is the description. It says that the good hand of his God was upon him. And that means that God blessed him and gave him strength and direction and protection. What a great description. The good hand of his God was upon him. And I think that blessing that was upon Ezra's life is directly connected to what we're told in the next verse in Ezra chapter 7 verse 10 where it describes really what Ezra was all about. It says, for Ezra had prepared his heart to seek the law of the Lord and to do it and to teach statues and ordinances in Israel. So here's what we see is that, that like the Bereans, Ezra had a heart for God's word and God blessed him because of it. Now, don't misunderstand me here. I am not suggesting, I'm not saying that if you read your Bible, God's going to love you more. No, God's love for you is constant His love for you does not change. But if you read your Bible, if you study your Bible, you are going to grow spiritually. 
You see, there are spiritual laws, just like there are, you know, laws that we have in nature today. You know, there's the law of gravity, for instance, that tells us, you know, what goes up must come down. I mean, that's the the law of gravity. Well, there's a law spiritually. It's actually a law physically as well, kind of combined, but it's the law of sowing and reaping. And in the spiritually speaking, it tells us this, that if you sow to your flesh, if you're all about just gratifying your natural man, your natural woman, you're, you're into gratifying the flesh, that you're going to reap destruction. That's what that leads to. But if you sow to the spirit, you're going to reap everlasting life. You're going you're to reap abundant life. And one of the ways that we sow to our spirit is by getting into the word of God. And it's how we approach the word of God. In fact, consider this promise that God gave to Joshua. In Joshua chapter 1, we're told that the Lord said, the book, This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate. Everybody say meditate. In it day and night, that you may observe to do according to all that is written in it. For then you will make your way prosperous, and then you will have good success. That was the promise that God made to Joshua. That if you don't allow the word of God to depart from your mouth, and you meditate it day and night, you're going to prosper and have good success. And that promise that God made to Joshua is applicable to us today. We need to stay in the word. We need to meditate on the word of God. We need to be people of the word. But you know what? The problem with a lot of Christians today is that they just don't get into the word. They're, they're lazy. And so they don't read their Bibles. In our counseling here in the church, oftentimes, you know, somebody will come in, they're really going through some heavy thing, and we'll ask them this question. We'll say, hey, have you been in the word lately? And what's your devotional life been like over the last you know, couple of months? Have you been getting into the word? And 90% of the time, they'll tell us, no, I haven't been. Well, the Lord tells us, hey, if you're digging into the word and meditating in the word, this is going to be the result. God's word is going to have a good effect upon your life. But unfortunately, a lot of us approach the Bible like men view instruction manuals. That it's only needed in an emergency. A lot of us guys, come on, if we're honest, we're like this. You get a new gadget, but instead of reading the manual, you'll think, oh, I can figure this out on my own. And so you start hooking things together, and you start pushing buttons. And when it doesn't work or something blows up, then you pull out the instruction. I have you guys are like that. Okay, I, I can be like that. What's interesting, my wife... She like reads the whole thing, like immediately before she does anything. How many of you women are like that? Okay. What does that say about us as men and women? I don't know, you know. You know, and what's interesting about instruction manuals is a lot of them, they have warnings in them. You know, they're there like to say, don't do this. You know, it might break the machine or it might blow up or it might harm you. And some warning labels really, really make sense. But others are kind of weird, you know. You ever seen some weird? Let me, let me share with you a couple weird instruction manuals. This was a warning on an electric router made for carpenters. And this was the warning. This product is not intended for use as a dental drill. <laughs> Why would they put that on there? 
That means that there was some guy somewhere who had a sore tooth or his wife had a sore tooth and he didn't want to pay to go to the dentist. He says, hey, babe, here, come here. I'll take that out for you, you know. That's why they, they do that. This was, a, here, this was another one. This was a warning on a microwave. Do not use for drying pets. Yeah. Somewhere at some time, there was someone. We won't go into that. This was a warning found on a baby stroller. It cautions user. This is the warning. Please remove child before folding. Like, really? You really have to put that in there? This was a warning on a prescription of sleeping pills. The warning said, warning may cause drowsiness. <laughs> like, yeah, that's why I'm taking this, right? This was a warning on a household iron. It warns, never iron your clothes while being worn. So somewhere, at some time, there was some guy who puts on his shirt and goes, oh, it's wrinkled. I know what I'll do. And he said, of taking it off, he gets his iron out. Crazy. One more. This was a warning on a child-sized Superman costume. Warning, wearing this costume does not enable you to fly. So somewhere there was some 10-year-old who put on the costume, jumped off the roof, and broke his leg. And so they had to come up with this, you know, warning. So some warnings are just weird, right? But you know what? There's a lot of warnings in the Bible. And those warnings are not weird at all. No, God put them there for a reason. In fact, one of my life verses, Colossians chapter 1, verse 28 says this, speaking of Jesus, it's him we preach. That's why on our wall it says simply Jesus, that it's all about Jesus. That's what we're about. We're about preaching Jesus. And that preaching is going to look like this, warning every man and teaching every man in all wisdom that we may present every man perfect in Christ Jesus. So we're all about pointing people to Jesus, but in the midst of that, there's going to be warnings and there's going to be teaching, and the goal is to help us all become complete in Christ. And so we have warnings in the Bible against pride. We have warnings in the Bible against bitterness. We have warnings in the Bible against greed. We have warnings in the Bible against sexual immorality. There are a ton of warnings in the Bible. Here's one that's relevant for our culture today. In Isaiah chapter 5, verse 20, it says, Woe to those who call evil good and good evil. Is that not the time that we're living in today? Who put darkness for light and light for darkness. Who put bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter. Woe to those who are wise in their own eyes. That is a warning to our culture right now today. But listen, God gives us such warnings because he's a loving heavenly father who doesn't want us to go down a road or go down a path that is going to hurt us physically or even more important, spiritually. So he puts those warnings in there. And so we have warnings in the Bible. We have instruction in the Bible. But get this, at the heart of Bible study is to know God. It's to know Jesus. And, you know, I think Ezra believed that. 
And I think because of that, he approached the word of God in a very direct way. I want us to look at verse uh, Ezra 7.10 again, for it says, For Ezra had prepared his heart to seek the law of the Lord, and to do it, and to teach statues and ordinance in Israel. This tells us three things about how Ezra prepared his heart in three ways concerning the word of God. And this is what made him a man that the good hand of his law of God was upon him. So the first thing we notice about Ezra is that he prepared his heart to seek the law of the Lord. The word law there is an idiom for the whole word of God. So he prepared his heart to approach. That's talking about his approach to seek the word of God. So here's the question. What does it look like for us to prepare our hearts to come to God's word? What does it look like to prepare our hearts to seek the Lord in his word? Now, for me personally, that often translates into finding a quiet place where I can have a quiet time and I can quiet my heart to be with Jesus. So for me personally, because my world, like a lot of yours, is very, very busy and distracting. I wake up every single day to a slew of texts and a slew of emails. My wife is always looking at my, you know, inbox and going, how come you have so many, you know, emails in there, you know? And I like, I keep deleting them, but they just keep coming, you know? And, 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 and so I wake up to that. And so for me personally, one of the best things for me to do is not look at my phone first thing in the morning. Now, sometimes I fail at that. I can get distracted. But the best thing for me is to not look at that and it's to go and I get my cup of tea, I get my Bible, I get my journal, and I sit in my office at home and I look out my window and I spend time with Jesus and allowing Jesus just to to minister to my heart. Why do I use a journal? Sometimes guys, they hear the word journal and they think of a diary and they say, you know, a diary is a chick thing. And, and, you know, you're right. A diary is a chick thing. You know, (laughs) a guy's never going to write in a diary, dear diary. You know, I mean, if he had a diary, it would say, dude, you know, I mean, but diaries. Yeah, that's a chick thing. But journals, guys, they're made of leather. They smell good. They feel good. What's a journal? Well, I take my journal, and as I'm reading, and if God speaks to my heart, I write down in my journal, here's what God spoke to me today. Here's something I think he's wanting me to think about, to pray about. I write that down in my journal so I can come back later and look at it. I can come back after a month and see, okay, what were the things that God was showing me and have I followed through on those things? Oftentimes I'll take what I'm writing in my journal and I'll put it in my phone and I'll put a reminder so that later on in the day at lunch it pops up so I can look at it again and remind myself, what was God saying to me this morning? Because I don't know about you, but you know, I can I can spend some awesome time with the Lord at six in the morning and then by ten I'm so caught up in my day I forget. Like what did I read today? So I need that reminder. Come back to it. Getting in, meditating upon 
the word. We have this amazing promise in the book of Psalms about meditating on the word. In Psalm 1 it says this, Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor stands in the path of sinners, nor sits in the seat of the scornful. In other words, he's not going to get his counsel or his instruction from the world. That's what that's telling us. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law he meditates in it day and night. And the picture of meditation, if you wonder, what does it it mean to meditate? Think of the cow chewing the cud. You ever seen how a cow chews? It's real slow. It's real methodical because a cow has four compartments to his stomach. And so as he's chewing, he'll swallow and the, you know, food is going down into different, you know, compartments, but a part of the food called the cud gets regurgitated back up again. And so he's chewing on that over and over. A cow will chew on the cud for eight hours during a day. That's a great picture of what it means to meditate on the word of God. (laughs) You're like, really? You know, yeah, you're bringing it in, bringing it into your heart, and then you're bringing it back up. To your mind, okay? (laughs) And so you're going over it again. What was God saying to me? What was he speaking to my heart? And notice, notice the results, the promise of those who meditate on the word there in Psalm, in verse 3 of Psalm 1 says that he or she shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water that brings forth fruit in its season whose leaf also shall not wither and whatever he does... It's going to prosper. So Ezra prepared his heart to seek the Lord. He he didn't come to it haphazardly, but he prepared his heart to seek God in his word. And the second thing it tells us, so, so first it's telling us about his approach. The second thing is it's telling us about his activity. It says Ezra prepared his heart to seek the law of the Lord and to do it. Not just to read it, not just to meditate upon it, but to do it. He prepared his heart in a way that whatever God was going to speak to him, he wanted to put that into practice. In other words, Ezra's approach to the word of God wasn't just for information. It wasn't just for instruction. But he, it was for application. He wanted to figure out, he wanted the Lord to speak to him about, okay, how do I apply this to my life? And that's when life change happens. It's when we take God's word and we apply it to our lives. That's the most effective way to approach the word of God. In fact, I think sometimes with some people, sometimes that I think the Lord is reluctant to give us new instruction because we haven't responded to what he told us last time. And sometimes I'll meet somebody and they'll be like, yeah, my devotions have been so dry lately. I feel like God hasn't spoke to me in like a month. And I'll ask them, I'll say, well, what did you do? Or what, was, what did God instruct you on the last time that he spoke to you? What was he speaking to your heart? What was he showing you? And they'll say, well, it was this. And I'll go, well, did, did you do that? 
That might be the problem. That he's like saying, hey, I'm waiting for you to step into that before I give you some new instruction. Because he's, he's about life change. He's about transformation. We see it again in God's promise to Joshua. He says, if you observe to do according to all that is written in it, then you will make your way prosperous and then you will have good success. James, the apostle James in his epistle in James chapter 1 verse 22 exhorts us, be doers of the word, not just hearers only, deceiving yourselves. And then he gives this analogy that those who hear God's teaching and do nothing are like people who look at themselves in a mirror and they see their faces and then they go away and quickly forget what they looked like. So picture this. James is giving us an illustration of a guy that gets up in the morning, he looks in the mirror, and he's like, man, I need to shave. I got to trim those nose ear hairs and those ears and their hairs in my ears, and I should probably brush my teeth and, and uh, definitely need to get out of these pajamas and put on some, you know, real clothes. He sees all that in the mirror, but then he doesn't do anything. He just goes out into his day, looks like a wreck, and ventures out. The mirror showed him what needed to be taken care of, but he didn't do it. And so he goes out oblivious to what he looks like. Well, God's word is like a mirror. And when you look at the word of God, we look into it, and the picture that we're seeing in contrast is, is not a picture of us, but we're seeing a picture of Jesus. And when we see ourselves in relation to Jesus, we see the things in us that need to change. The things that we need to bring to God. It's not that you're going to change these things in your life, but you're bringing your heart and submitting your heart in those areas to the Lord so that he can change those things. But James says the person who looks and sees that, but then doesn't do anything about it, doesn't bring those things to the Lord, he goes out and he forgets what he looks like. But listen, I don't think James is saying that the problem with the man is a poor memory. What he's saying, it's a poor priorities. That's the problem. He doesn't remember what he saw in the mirror because it's not very important to him. What's more important to him is making money, chasing after that, or his hobbies, or the things that he's involved in. And so the life change never happens. But then James contrasts that picture by saying this, but truly happy people are those who carefully study God's perfect law that makes people free and they continue to study it and they do not forget what they heard, but they, here's the key word, obey what God's teaching says. Those who do this will be made happy. So Ezra and the Bereans... These were those who prepared their hearts to seek the word of God, but also to respond to it. How do I apply this to my life? And then the third thing we see about Ezra was not just that he sought, prepared his heart to seek the word and to apply it to his life, but also to teach it. That after receiving from the Lord, his desire was to teach others. And you know what? That is really one of the key ways to grow is to give it away. 
to take what you are getting and to give it to someone else. When God is teaching you something and speaking to you, you share that with your kids. You share that with your grandkids. You share that with your spouse. You share it with a coworker. In fact, I want to dare all of you who are, you know, going to work tomorrow or going to work this week at some place, share with your coworkers. Say, you know what? Just say this. I read something amazing in the Bible this week. I guarantee you, some of them will say, really? Because they think the Bible is so boring. Really? Take them to where David cuts off Goliath's head and carries it into the city of Jerusalem. You know what I mean? It's like, who needs movies, right? But um, no, that's probably what, you know, (laughs) like, okay, what about that? No, but anyway. But no, share. Hey, I, I read something. I heard something at church. You might be radically surprised how they respond to that. So Ezra, he's this guy that the good hand of the Lord is upon him because he, his approach, he's, he prepared his heart to seek God in his word and his application, his activity. He, he didn't just get information, but he put it into practice. And then he sought to teach it to others. And as a result of that, he was blessed. You know, there's a body of water over in Israel called the Dead Sea. And the Dead Sea, it's fun to go float in it because there's a lot of salt content in it and you can float in it. But, but the Dead Sea, it's, it's called the Dead Sea because there's nothing alive in it. And the reason is, is the Dead Sea has an intake, but it doesn't have an outflow. So everything gets stagnant. And it builds up and no life can dwell. The same thing can happen to us. As Christians, we need not just an intake, but we need an outflow. We need to receive from the Lord, but then we need to give it away. We need to receive and then we need to share it with others. And if we are only always intake, intake, only receiving, we can find ourselves becoming spiritually stagnant, spiritually constipated. There has to be an outflow. There has to be the giving out of God's word. And that's what we see with Ezra. And so we want to follow Ezra's example. We want to follow the example of Joshua. We want to follow the example of the Bereans in learning to apply our hearts in seeking God in his word in that type of way. Amen? Now, let's see how this wraps up. And notice what happens there in Berea at the, uh, the effect of God's word. Verse 12, it says, Therefore, many of them believed, and also not a few of the Greeks and prominent women as well. Notice that word, therefore. Words in the Bible are very, very important. And the word, therefore, is hinging of two thoughts together. So it's taking this idea that they went in and they studied the word, They searched the scriptures. There was a readiness about approaching the word of God. And the result of that is many believed. The word of God expanded. The gospel expanded. And not just a lot of Jews, but even Greeks and men and women were coming to faith in Christ. And the idea that they believed, it means that they embraced, they were persuaded. It's the idea of resting your full weight on something. 
right now, without even thinking about all of you are showing that you believe in the manufacturers of the chairs that you're sitting in, that those chairs are going to hold you up because you've been sitting in them, you know, all morning now without even thinking about it. That's the idea. So you're resting your weight. You're resting your destiny on the reality of who Jesus is. But note this, many believe, but we've noticed this in our study in the book of Acts over and over again, that whenever God is moving, Satan always opposes. And so we see in verse 13, when the Jews from Thessalonica learned that the word of God was preached by Paul at Berea, they came there also and stirred up the crowds. Remember last week, they riot in Thessalonica. Well, these guys come again and it's riot now in Berea because Satan hates to see people getting into the word of God. God. He hates the preaching and the teaching and the study of God's word because he knows that God's word is powerful to transform lives. So whenever, if you're like thinking today, man, I need to get into, I need to get more of a rhythm and more consistency and getting into God's word, that is awesome, but Satan's going to come after you. If you want to just continue to approach God's word the way that you do an instruction manual, only when it's an emergency. Things like, ah, we'll leave him alone. But man, you want to be blessed. You want to see transformation and life change happen in your life. As you get into the word, Satan's going to come after you. That's okay. Because the Bible says, greater is he that is in us than he that is in the world. But you need to note that. And so that's what happens here. And it gets so intense that the people in Berea, because they, they want to see the word just continue to go out through Paul, they say, hey, you should probably head out. Let's take, we're going we're to take you to Athens. They, they need the word in Athens. And then Paul and Silas, they'll stay here and, you know, they'll teach us and they'll, they'll instruct us and we'll continue to get in the word together. And so that's what happens and that's how this story in Berea ends. And as we wrap up today... Perhaps you're here and you haven't trusted Christ. You haven't given your life to Jesus. I want to encourage you. The gospel is really simple. It's just that Jesus left heaven, came to this earth, so that he could go to the cross and die on the cross to pay the price for your sins. And if you simply just put your faith in him, you rest your faith in the reality that Jesus is who he said he was, God in human flesh, that he did what he said he was going to do, die on a cross, and then three days later rise again from the dead, and you put your faith and trust in him, the Bible says that he's going to forgive you of your sins, that he's going to come into your heart, and you are going to have eternal life. And that is a quality of life that starts right now in walking with Jesus. And it results in a longevity of life of being with Jesus forever. And that's what he offers us. And as you give your heart to him and begin to learn to grow in your understanding of who he is as you study the word of God, the result of that is going to be you're going to find yourself spiritually prospering. That's his promise. That's his promise to us. Let's pray together. And so, Lord, we today, we pray that, God, you would make us here at Calvary Vista, that we would be a church, that we would be like the Bereans, that there would be an eagerness to study the word. 
that we would search out the scriptures, that we would mine out these beautiful, wonderful truths from your word. Lord, I pray that you would make all of us here as individuals like Ezra, that we would prepare our hearts to seek you in your word on a daily basis. And we wouldn't just seek you for information, but God, that we would seek you for application, to figure out, to to seek your wisdom. Lord, how do I apply this to my life? What are you wanting to change? And God, I pray that we would take those things that you're showing us and we would teach them to others, that we might grow and that we might see your word just transform our families, our community. And so, God, we bring you our hearts today in Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen.